In the second extract, we meet Pongo's uncle Fred, Lord Ickenham, who is presenting himself here as the great psychiatrist Sir Roderick Glossop. He is walking from Market Blandings towards Blandings Castle, the seat, you will remember, of the intermittently bespectacled Lord Emsworth, when he is accosted by third duke, the Duke of Dunstable, Horace's uncle. Hoy! cried this person. Hoy! responded Lord Ickenham civilly. The fact that he had heard Horace Davenport speak of his uncle Alaric as a bald-headed old coot with a walrus moustache had enabled him to identify the newcomer without difficulty. Few coots could have had less hair than this man, and any walrus would have been proud to possess the moustache at which he was puffing. You're the brain chap. Rightly concluding that this was a crisper and neater way of saying psychiatrist, Lord Ickenham replied that he was. The others are in the hall, all having drinks and things. When I heard you were walking up, I thought I'd come along and meet you. Dunstable's my name, the Duke of Dunstable. They fell into step together. The Duke produced a bandana handkerchief and mopped his forehead with it. The evening was warm, and he was not in the best of condition. I wanted a quiet talk, he began. Uh, speaking of dukes, said Lord Ickenham, did you ever hear the one about the Duke and the Lady Snake Charmer? It was a jocund little tale, slightly blue in spots, and he told it well, but though his companion was plainly amused, his chief emotion appeared to be perplexity. Are you really, said Roderick Glossop? Well, why do you ask? Man of the club told me he was a pompous old ass, but you're not a pompous old ass. Oh, you probably met me in my professional capacity. You know how it is. One puts on a bit of a dog in office hours to impress the customers. I dare say you've done the same thing yourself in the House of Lords. Well, that's true. But you were saying something about wanting a quiet talk. Exactly. Before Connie could get hold of you and stuff you up with a lot of nonsense, Emsworth's sister, Lady Constance, Keeble. She's like all women, won't face facts. First thing she's going to do when she meets you is to try to pull the wool over your eyes and persuade you that he's as sane as I am. Quite understandable, no doubt, her brother and all that. You're speaking of Lord Emsworth? Yes. What did you make of him? Oh, he seemed clean and sober. Again, the Duke appeared a little puzzled. Why shouldn't he be sober? I don't think I'm complaining, Lord Ekenham hastened to assure him. I was pleased. Ah? Uh, well, as I was saying, Connie will try to make you think that the whole thing has been exaggerated and that he's simply dreamy and absent-minded. Don't let her fool you. The man's potty. Indeed. No question about it. The whole family's potty. You saw Bosom at the station. There's a loony for you. Goes up to London and lets a chap play the confidence trick on him. Give me your wallet to show you trust me, says the chap. Right-o, says Bottom. Just like that. Ever meet the other boy, Freddie Threpwood? Worse than Bosom. Sells dog biscuits, so you can get a rough idea what Emsworth must be like. Man can't have two sons like that and be sane himself. And me to say, you've got to start with that idea well in your head, or you'll never get anywhere. Shall I tell you about Emsworth? Do. Here are the facts. He's got a pig, and he's crazy about it. The good man loves his pig. Yes, but he doesn't want to run it in the derby. Does Emsworth? Told me so himself.
Lord Ickenham looked dubious. I doubt if the stewards would accept a pig. You might starch its ears and enter it as a greyhound for the Waterloo Cup, but not the Derby. Exactly. Well, that shows you. It does indeed. The Duke puffed at his moustache approvingly, so that it flew before him like a banner. It pleased him to find this expert in such complete agreement with his views. The man, he could see, knew his business, and he decided to abandon reserve and lay bare the skeleton in his own cupboard. He had not intended to draw attention to the dark shadow which had fallen on the house of Dunstable, but he saw now that it would be best to tell all. In the hall which he had just left, strange and disconcerting things had been happening, and he wanted a skilled opinion on them. "'Nice little place Hemsworth has here,' said Lord Ickenham, as they reached the broad gravel sweep that flanked the terrace. "'Not so bad. Makes it all the sadder that he'll probably end his days in Colney Hatch, unless you can cure him.' "'Oh, I seldom fail.' "'And then I wish,' said the Duke, coming out with it, "'that while you're here you would take a look at my nephew, Horace.' "'Is he giving you cause for anxiety?' Acute anxiety. The Duke, about to unveil the Dunstable skeleton, checked himself abruptly and blew furiously at his moustache. From some spot hidden from them by thick shrubberies, there had come the sound of a pleasant tenor voice. It was rendering the bonny banks of Loch Lomond and putting a good deal of feeling into it. Gah! That whistling fellow again! I beg your pardon. Chap who comes whistling and singing outside my window, said the Duke, like the heroine of an old-fashioned novelette speaking of her lover. I've been trying to get to grips with him ever since I arrived, but he eludes me. Well, I can wait. I've got a dozen best new-laid eggs in my room, and sooner or later... But I was telling you about Horace. Yes, I want to hear all about Horace. Your nephew, you say? One of them... My late brother's son, he's potty. The other's my late sister's son, he's potty too. My late brother was potty, so was my late sister. And where would you rank Horace in this galaxy of goofiness? Is he, in your opinion, above or below the family average? The Duke considered. Above, decidedly above. After what happened in the hall just now, most emphatically above... Do you know what happened in the hall just now? I'm sorry, no, I'm a stranger in these parts myself. It shocked me profoundly. What happened in the hall? And always the bonny, bonny banks of Loch Lomond, said the Duke peevishly. A song I've hated all my life. Who wrote the beastly thing? Burns, I believe. But you were going to tell me what happened in the hall. Ah, yes, so it was. It showed me that I had wronged that chap Baxter. I expect you met Baxter at the station, my secretary. He was on your train. He should have come down with me, but he insisted on remaining in London on the plea that he had work to do in connection with the history of my family that I'm writing. I didn't believe him. It seemed to me that he had a furtive look in his eye. My feeling all along was that he was planning to go on some toot. And when Horace told me this morning that he had seen him at some dance or other a couple of nights ago, leaping about all over the place in the costume of a Corsican brigand... I was all ready for him. The moment his foot crossed the threshold, I sacked him. And then this thing happened in the hall. You were going to tell me about that, weren't you? 
I am telling you about it. It was when we were in the hall. Connie had taken your daughter out to show her the portraits in the gallery, though why any girl should be supposed to be anxious to look at that collection of gargoyles is more than I can imagine. I should be vastly surprised to learn that there was an uglier lot of devils in the whole of England than Emsworth's ancestors. However, be that as it may, Connie had taken your daughter to see them, leaving Bosom and your nephew and myself in the hall. And in comes Horace, and no sooner had I directed his attention to your nephew than he gives a jump and says, Pongo! See? Pongo! Like that! Your nephew looked taken aback and said in a low voice that his name was Basil. Brave lad! What? I said, Brave lad! Why? Oh, why not? argued Lord Ickenham. The Duke turned this over and seemed to see justice in it. What had happened, you see, was that Horace had mistaken him for a friend of his. Well, all right, nothing so very remarkable about that, you're saying. Sort of thing that might happen to anyone, quite, but marked a sequel. If Burns thought Loch Lomond rhymes with before you, said the Duke, with a return of his peevishness, he must have been a borderline case. Uh, and the sequel, you were about to say? Eh? Oh, yes, the sequel. Coming to that, not that there are many rhymes to Loch Lomond. Got to be fair to the chap, I suppose. Yes, the, the sequel. Well, right on top of this, Connie comes back with your daughter. She's charming. I have not met Lady Constance. Your daughter, I mean. Oh, very. Her, her name is Gwendolen. So she told us, but that didn't stop Horace from going up to her and calling her Polly. Polly? Polly. Why, hello, Polly, were his exact words. Lord Ickenham reflected. The conclusion that suggests itself is that he had a mistaken her for a girl called Polly. Exactly, the very thought that flashed on me. Well, you can imagine that that made me realise that matters were grave. One bloomer of that sort, yes. But when it happens twice in two minutes, you begin to fear the worst. I've always been uneasy about Horace's mental condition, ever since he had measles as a boy and suddenly shot up to the height of about eight foot six. Stands to reason a chap's brain can't be all that way from his heart and still function normally. Look at the distance the blood's got to travel. Well, here we are, said the Duke, as they passed through the great front door that stood hospitably open. Hello. Where's everybody? Mm, dressing, I suppose. You'll be wanting to go to your room. I'll take you there. You're in the red room. Bathrooms at the end of the passage. What was I saying? Oh, yes. I said I began to fear the worst. I reasoned the whole thing out. A chap can't be eight foot six and the son of my late brother and expect to carry on as if nothing had happened. Something's bound to give. I remembered what he had told me about thinking he had seen Baxter at the ball, and it suddenly struck me like a blow that he must have developed. I ah, don't know what you call it, but I suppose there's some scientific term for it when a fella starts seeing things. Oh, you mean a sublunary medulla oblongata diathesis? Very possibly. You can see now why that girl broke off the engagement. She must have realised that he'd got this whatever you said it was and decided it wasn't good enough. No girl wants a potty husband, though it's dashed hard not to get one nowadays. Here's your room. I wish you'd see what you can do for the boy. Can't you examine him or something? I shall be delighted to examine him. Just give me time to have a bath, and I'll be at his disposal. I'll send him along to you. If there's anything to be done for him, I'd be glad if you would do it. 
what with him and Bosom and Emsworth and that whistling fellow, I feel as if I were living in a private asylum, and I don't like it. The Duke stumped off, and Lord Ickenham, armed with his great sponge, joyeuse, made his way to the bathroom. He had just got back from a refreshing dip when there was a knock at the door, and Horace entered. And having done so, he stood staring dumbly. Horace Davenport's face had two features that called for attention. From his father, he had inherited the spacious Dunstable nose. From his mother, a Hillsbury Hapworth, the large fawn-like eyes which distinguished that family. This nose, as he gazed at Lord Ickenham, was twitching like a rabbit's, and in the eyes, behind their tortoise-shell-rimmed spectacles, there was dawning slowly a look of incredulous horror. It was as if he had been cast for the part of Macbeth and was starting to run through the Banquo's ghost scene.